All right, today you actually get a double dose of me because John and Emily are in Missouri at uh, uh, visiting Emily's parents and at a wedding of a friend that Emily grew up with that she was in the wedding party. So uh, you get me at both services today. So I thought I'd finish what I started last week. Last week I uh, had an outline that, uh, as usual, it... uh, it some, sometimes takes me more than the 40 minutes I have allotted to go through uh, one of the outlines. This one, I am just decided it would just come out a lot better if I do 40 minutes three times. So this is, uh, so, there's a few changes in the outline from last week. And uh, one of the changes is that instead of saying introduction to the eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel, which is a whole series we do and we're doing this um, I want to kind of, one of the reasons I'm doing this on Sunday mornings is I'm trying to increase the number of people who are attending. Uh, Monday through Thursday, we're having prayer here at the church from 6.30 to 7.30. And Tuesday and Thursday nights, that's followed by from 7.30 to 9, teachings on how to lead people to Christ. Uh, the, The whole aspect of our church is discipleship and multiplying. We want you to uh, to be in the ministry, because you are, if you're a Christian. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. If you are not becoming a fisher of men, and if you can't point to specific plans and things that you're studying and ways that you're becoming a better fisher of men, then you're following a Jesus of your own imagination. So if you know anything about fishing, fishing guys don't just fish when they're fishing, but they like get fishing catalogs and magazines and they go to fishing stores and they mess with their fishing equipment and they, uh, so forth. And, you know, as, as Christians, we have three ministries that we always stress here at Grace Christian Fellowship. Your first ministry is to God. Loving God, worshiping God, adoring God, meditating at his feet on his word, studying his word. The mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. I doubt any of you would like a marriage where you don't talk to each other. So if you're a Christian, you want to sit at God's feet and you want to read his word and you want him to speak his mysteries, his heart, his, what he cares about. And I always pray, God, cause me to love what you love and to hate what you hate, to care about what you care about. Make me like you, like Christ. First uh, John 3 says that we know that when we see him, we shall be like him. So anyone who has that hope purifies himself as he is pure. If you don't have a passion to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, then it's questionable whether you were converted to Christ. If you're just like, yeah, same old, same old sins, and they, I'm just going to let them rule over me all the time, apathy, passivity, whatever the problem may be, addictions, uh, fornications, whatever, I'm just going to, if, if, if it doesn't bother you much, and if you're not uh, fasting and getting counsel or deliverance or whatever you need to walk godly, then there's some real questions about whether you've met Jesus or not, biblically. So um, that's your first ministry. Your second ministry is to one another. One of the tragedies of the church today is that many, many Christian leaders are calling the kind of Christianity we have today radical individualism. The word personal savior has become the most common phrase that people say talk about when they talk about their Christian life. They say, Jesus became my personal savior. Doesn't that sound great? However, it's not in the Bible once. And Paul called Jesus our Lord 53 times, and he only called him his own personal, my Lord, once. Because when you become a Christian, you're born into a family. Now, that family happens to be fragmented and divided in practical expressions worldwide. And so all all Christian leaders of all kinds of persuasions would agree that one of the things we have to do in the meantime is you need to be committed covenantally to one local expression of community, of the body of Christ. 
you, we need to pray that God will unite his body more, and we need to cry out to God. I, I have thoughts. I hope to write a book before I die on just some suggestions as how the church might uh, attain more unity in time. Uh, just, but I would very humbly just say these are speculations. But I don't know how God will do it, but Jesus prayed that he would make them all one, and we will become one. But in the meantime... The Bible says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men and do good to all men as you have opportunity, but especially those who are of the household of the faith. Who are your practical daily brothers and sisters? And how are you laying down your life to serve them? The third ministry we all have is to the lost. And God never intended even rudimentary fishing takes more than one boat and more than one person if you're going to uh, fish, have a fishing business in, in uh, gospel times. So um, that's just by way of introduction again for today and hoping you'll listen to last week. Last week we called, we basically dealt with uh, the deception you hear a lot that God's just called me to lifestyle evangelism. It's just not true. God has also called us to proclamation evangelism, to specifically going out to seek opportunities to proclaim the kingdom of God, the lordship of Jesus Christ, the liberating freedom. God came to set you free, and he came to set you free from your addictions, from your anger management issues, from your blinding pride. He came to set you free from sin, and he... Uh, one of the things that I, um, you know, that I like to use the word trusting Christ instead of faith, because we've so killed faith that we have we have debased faith into um, an abstract intellectual idea that uh, that has nothing to do with whether we're actually following, trusting in, clinging to, obeying, relying on, and so forth. So I really like to talk about trusting in Christ or following Christ rather than just believing. And likewise. Um, I really am, uh, I decided yesterday, I'm just, I'm going to be on a war against calling Jesus your savior. Cause you know what? Jesus is my savior. We've so taken the content out of that, that it means nothing. So uh, my proposal is call, Jesus is my rescuer. <laughs> He's my deliverer because actually the the Greek word that's the, that has to do with salvation is often translated he, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness so proclamation evangelism is necessary we also counter, covered the subject there one b of pre-evangelized versus somewhere in between that'll become more clear in the second service today as we talk about why we need to go through all eight of these essentials with people because here's what we're up against. Almost no one is pre-evangelized in our culture today in a, it completely. And in fact, they, um, they talk about in evangelicalism and Bible-believing Christianity has become so man-centered that for the most part, uh, people who... Uh, grew up in the church are actually at a disadvantage in a lot of ways because we've come to believe this thing isn't supposed to be that radical it's not supposed it 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 can fit into a, a nice comfortable american lifestyle where we pursue a better home and a nicer car and 2.7 children and 1.3 pets and um 1.3 pets is terrible. No, uh, <laughs> but you know what? You know we and air conditioning and uh, and you know the prestige of this neighborhood over that neighborhood and all all kind of things that have nothing to do with loving Jesus, following Christ, or seeking the kingdom of God. So um, when you when you uh, understand the difference between Peter's sermon in Acts 2 and Paul's sermon in Acts 17, you'll start, that will, that's a good starting point to start to think about the concept of pre-evangelism. Because what, hap what began to happen in our country 
is uh, over and over the Christian consensus of thinking broke down to where they call this now a post-Christian era and a post-modern era. But most evangelistic efforts uh, stay within the church walls to people who've been churched, and they're really only designed to reach people who are backslidden because we've so watered down things that a very, very, very high percentage of people have experienced uh, praying the sinner's prayer, coming to Christ, but not really becoming a Christian in practical ways of making Jesus your Lord. You get, as we're we're going to get into uh, today ways to discern uh, whether someone really is converted. Because Jesus taught about false conversion. Paul taught about false conversion. Every Christian, what's called the church fathers of the first seven centuries, have materials about false conversion. The Puritans wrote on first con false conversion. Even the Arminians, who kind of, uh, Finney and these guys who brought us the whole... Uh, modernized uh, sinner's prayer concept. Um, even those guys taught about true and false conversion. But you don't hear hardly anybody talk about that today. But the truth of the matter is, is there's hundreds and hundreds of people sitting in the pews. I, I hate to say this, but there's people who come to Grace Christian Fellowship that from any biblical way of looking at it, it's not clear whether or not they're Christian. And it seems to persist no matter how radical I try to get to the roots of it. We live in a word-hardened culture where Coke adds life. And you can get the Pepsi spirit. <laughs> and Dotson saves. <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know. Um, and so we hear words and they have no impact on us because we're word-inflated. That's why when a lot of people ask me, what are we trying to do here at Grace Christian Fellowship? I say we're trying to build a community of believers whereby we're going to put biblical content back into Christian words. Back into biblical words. All right, so that was a little bit about last week. I, I, I hope you especially will, uh, if you weren't here, that you'll get the why we need to have proclamation evangelism why we need to understand the difference between pre-evangelized or not. And uh, most people in, in, uh, that have grown up in church are somewhere in between. And most people that are of other religions and other cultures have not been pre-evangelized. Okay? We have had a number of people raised in Dayton Public Schools that have come here that have known a lot more about Wicca, witchcraft, astrology, and so forth than they actually know about God, the Bible, Jesus Christ. Uh, the idea that there was four Gospels. Four Gospels, really? I didn't know that. I've had people tell me, wow, I didn't realize until I started talking to you and you started showing me some things that Jesus was actually a real part. There really was a Jesus. I thought it was kind of like the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus or something. You know, um, and so, you know, we're, you're dealing with people who you can't just say, uh, I've actually been to churches, uh, studied a church extensively, where they had the altar call format. But the altar call had degenerated to at the end of the service because the, it was such a tradition that the pastor would get fired if he didn't have an altar call, but he really didn't even believe in it anymore. So he would say, if, to, if today's your day to come to God, or today's your day to come back to God, come on down. Now, what does that mean to someone who's a Hindu? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Which of the thousands of gods are you talking about? What does it mean to someone who's been brought up in radical feminism, who says, I, I know God, I talked to her this morning. I actually used some of her formulas for my witchcraft and control of my husband. <laughs> That's, but you're talking to people who have that in their minds. And you need to understand, you know, there's an old joke, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Part of the reason I decided to coach inner city baseball is because I remembered growing up and hearing the coaches say stuff like, well, you got a piece of the apple and I'll get the whole thing. And I'm a little kid going, what the hell does that mean? 
<laughs> Excuse my language, but help me. Uh, uh, you know, and you know, uh, see it through, see it through. See what? What are you talking about? I don't know. Get down on it. Get down on it. Get down on what? Get down on it. What are you trying to? Do? What are you? You, you know, what are you trying to talk about? And that's that's what we have. You, If you're going to become effective in bearing fruit, John 15, 8 says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The quality and quantity of the fruit you bear is actually the test or the proof of whether you're a disciple. The reason they have test before you can move on to the next grade or whatever is they want to know if you know the stuff. And God gives all sorts of tests, especially in John's writings in the New Testament. First John is a whole series of tests to test where you're really at. The one who says this but does this is actually deceived they're really this. That's what the whole book is talking about. It's about how to measure your reality. Jesus says, if he who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. Now, I hope you've gotten this drilled into your head. I, I invented this term. There's probably a better term, but I, I was educated in public school. That's my excuse. But I went even to public university. So uh, there's a concept that I call reading the reverse negative. What is it not saying? So Jesus, if Jesus is saying, if you have my commandments and keep them, that you love me, then if you don't keep them, you don't love him. Anyone who's been married knows that. Like, you know, eventually you tell your wife, uh, I love you, I love you. And he, she says, well, why can't you remember to take the trash out on Wednesday nights <laughs> if you love me? Why can't, why, can't you, uh, why can't you keep a job? Why do you keep getting fired if you love me? Got it? All right, so let's get into today's mess <laughs> with, jeez. Uh, of course, John's not here, so I have no one to get upset at me if I go over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where's Jason? I think Jason's uh, off on an errand somewhere. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. All right, so be like the pastor who used to put a, a lifesaver in his mouth every sermon, and whenever the lifesaver was done, that was the end of the sermon. One week, he accidentally put a button in there. And uh, three hours later, he realized uh, it wasn't a lifesaver. All right, so uh, let's get into point B here. Five diagnostic tools to map progress in the process. Okay, so those are chosen words. I need you to think about every word. We have turned conversion into this one-time sinner's prayer thing, but that's not biblical, and that's not how it really happens. People go through a process. Now, just like your baby went through a process of conception, being planted in the mother's womb, uh, growing up in a sack of water and so forth, there was an actual birth date. I had the joy of being in the hospital with Davion and Taylor and Nathan and Tiffany and uh, John and Leah Gray. And in two of the cases, I was there on the actual birth date. What a joy. Um, so um, you, there is a time when your spirit comes alive and you are quickened. You were born in spiritually dead. And as Paul tells the Ephesians who had become Christians already, he made you alive. You are, you are born again at a particular point in time, but it's a process. And when you're helping people come to Christ, one of the ironies of, of today, if you study systematic theology, when you get to, for instance, uh, those of you who are in the theology class, when you get to this section on salvation or what's called soteriology, the study of the doctrines of the gospel and salvation, you will start with the fact that the God, the effectual calling of the gospel, those who God foreknows, he predestines, and he calls them through the gospel. No one can come unless the Father draws them. God will draw people by whatever means uh, he comes knocking at your door. Sometimes it's through a friend like uh, Logan and Bradbury. If you look in the gospels, you know, Philip found Andrew. Many, many, many people are brought to Christ by a new Christian 
who says, wow, I found Jesus. You got to check this out. <laughs> uh, you know, that happens a lot in families, and you want to pray that it always happens in families. So, um, in the process, I want to give you some ways of as you're having what what you always want to do just like in pole fishing in a pole fishing you got to get the fish on the hook but there's a process of getting the fish in the boat and even after the fish gets in the net that gets in the boat the fish has to be cleaned and cooked and eaten it's one of the great uh, points of what john is talking about when when Peter and the disciples are fishing after the resurrection and Jesus appears on the shores with a charcoal fire, we talked about what that meant last week, but he's cooking fish. Well, who caught him? <laughs> who cleaned him? Well, he's God. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's, Jesus is finishing the process when they're out trying to start it. And he's trying to say, I've got the whole process under control. What we are is like midwives. We're co-labors with God. We plant, we water, he causes the growth. And any farmer knows what the soil conditions need to be, what the seed needs to be, what stages the plants at at germination. And when at first, you, know, you don't like start harvesting your garden like you know, when the, you know, look at my cucumber plants and you pull them up showing to people when, when they're just starting, you know, you, you, you have to understand the process, right? And uh, so I want to give us some tools here for the remaining time of this message uh, about the process. First of all is a thing called the five vital signs of life. People, you know, I hope we don't need to go, you flip over and it's actually, uh, there's a little, bit about it is point Roman numeral 2B on, I put another teaching on the back side here. Um, these are diagnostic tools that you can examine yourself with. As a pastor or as an evangelist, as you're leading people to Christ, you can use these tools to find out if Jesus is really knocking on their door. Because the Holy Spirit can help you have insights into their spiritual condition and their heart. But, even, you know, if you look at the uh, Hebrews 5, it talks about the solid food is for the mature to those who, through practice, have trained their senses to discern good and evil. That's not just spiritual discernment, but it's also natural discernment based on biblical truths. Jesus discerned that the Syrophoenician woman had been given faith by the Father when, she, when, she, when he said, woman, it's not good to, he thought she was an unbeliever. She, she was a Gentile, so he says, I can't take the inheritance of the children and the children's bread and cast out demons out of your daughter. That's for, the, that's for the people of the kingdom. That's their inheritance. But he didn't realize she was a person of the kingdom until she responded in faith because he knew that God the Father by the Holy Spirit who the, is the author and perfecter of faith. So when she said, Lord, even the, master, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs out of the master's table, she's saying, I know that you're basically good and you're so awesome and you're so powerful and you're so good that even a crumb from you would grant my request. And he goes, oh, woman, great is your faith. He realized she's a daughter of Abraham because you have to be born again to actually be, to be able to be delivered from demons. They have a legal right to stay if, if Jesus isn't your Lord or Savior and to do the destructive things they do. So these are diagnostic tools. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says this, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So as a pastor, as a teacher, as someone who's become, you know, I'm training a number of people to become disciplers, in our church and to become leaders. We're trying to multiply leadership. We would like in about three years to start a second church in Z that will be targeted between Xenia and, and Cedarville. And uh, we need to raise up more leaders to do that. And uh, we're looking for people who are willing to embrace the character, uh, stu studies, all the things that it takes to, and, and start to be learn how to be fruitful. 
So here's some things that you can, so, and just so you know, we've changed American Christianity because we've made it more Greco-Roman humanistic than we know. We would test people. You meet, uh, I was, somebody was talking about this this week. I think, in fact, I think it was uh, my son, John, or Jason, one of them, I think when we were with Ned, someone was talking about how, um, you know, when you meet Christians today, they immediately begin to size you up. Was that you, Jason, talking at Ned? Yeah. And, uh, and I, that, that was a wonderful point. Um, uh, be, and they size you up by what do you believe about this and believe about that? Do you think it's okay for a Christian to drink beer? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Uh, and that kind of stuff. But biblically, the real tests are who are you? The mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. Your behavior fills out of the abundance that fills the heart. If you know God, quit getting drunk. If you know God, quit fornicating. If you know God, get a job. So let's look at some of these. The tests are lifestyle tests. Number one, hunger for God's word. Now, I'm uh, way too long developing these things, so I'm not going to be able to get into it, but I'll just give you two of the verses. Please write down in your notes, we have, we have a tool that you can get from Deanna Brown. Uh, it's our series called Search the Scriptures series, and the part one of it is called The Bible on the Importance of Bible Study. Search the Scriptures series, part one, The Bible on the Importance of the Bible Study. And it's about 70 scriptures already written, printed out for you about why you need to know Scripture. And it's arranged by 14 themes, the first one being that Jesus is called the Word of God. That's one of his titles in Revelation and in John and so forth. Uh, the early church, you emphasize that Jesus is the written Word. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the living Word, the Logos, out of which the written Word came. So studying the Trinity, studying the attributes of God, and studying the attributes of Christ is all the starting point for studying the Scripture. So one verse I love is like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Uh, one of the four babies that was born in our church recently, the husband and wife talked to my wife a day or two after the baby was born. And they were like, you know, unfortunately, I had young doctors to know what they were doing, I think. But the, uh, oh, no, the baby's lost one or two ounces since she was born. She's, she's not nursing that well and so forth. And I, th you know, which is a very common problem. Sometimes, it, you know, that's why they have lactation consultants. And sometimes it takes a couple. Of, but I was like, just wait, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and the Grace had some things to work through with Daniel. And now Daniel is like twice as big as he was already, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and he's just going to get, I mean, he's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, he, you know, the other night I was with Davion and he'd have been holding joy for like a half an hour. And he's like, my arms are starting to get tired. <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, uh, you know, like babies love to nurse. That's why we built a second nursery. And that's why Tiffany stirred, stirred me in the right direction when I was talking to her on the phone, driving around, looking at nursery furniture. And she said, it's not as important about cribs as it is to have good chairs to nurse in. <laughs> so that's why, you know, she, that's, uh, we changed the whole ideas of the nursery because of that conversation with Tiffany, because uh, she already had a baby, she knew. And, uh, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is if you're born again, this is what scares the heck out of me about American Christianity. People always go, Greg is always preaching on why we need to read the Bible and so forth. Because a lot of people don't read the Bible much in American Christianity. And if you don't, you really need to be scared that you're not, that you don't know God and you may not be saved. Because the truth of the matter is, is if you've met the Lord and you've tasted, it says, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. I think the reason the babies keep nursing is they like it. <laughs> and if it's like, oh, no, I got to read my three chapters again uh, and so forth, something's wrong with that equation. 
And I'm so glad, you know, we're at the end of this third running of the theology class, we'll have over 20 people that have finished the theology class in our church and growing. And I, I hope and pray that this will be a word-oriented church. We have a recommended foundational list. We have recommended book list. We have art- recommended articles. We have intermediate books. Uh, we talk. We teach all the time about the difference between literal equivalence translations and dynamic equivalence and paraphrase and why you need to use the three literal equivalence translations that are on the market, the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, and the New King James Version, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, if you're willing, I'll show you how to use blue letter Bibles so you can look up Greek words. I want you, you know, Ned, um, one of the reasons we have outside pastors come in and so forth is they kind of hear about what's going on in our church. And, and uh, a couple of the pastors that we've asked to keep an eye on us have said, one of the things I love about Grace Christian Fellowship is it seems like you guys are really committed to the truth. You People are taking, you know, having theology study sessions on Sunday afternoons. And, you know, uh, and, 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 and uh, Ned was commenting that to Logan and uh, Stephen Leopold the other night on the back porch. And, uh, and like Stephen answered, same thing I had actually answered earlier in the day. He goes, well, what else would we be doing? <laughs> Like, yeah, like we're, you know, like, what do you want us to do? Play euchre or something? You know, I mean, that's okay to get together to fellowship, but you know what? Fellowship around Jesus and his word and what he's doing in your life. Okay. Got to move on. Lifestyle changes. This one really gets down to the bottom. This, there is actually a debate in theological circles today, which is inane. It's just disgusting. But there are many people who have this idea that you can make Jesus your Savior, and it's optional whether you make him your Lord. Now, that is what they teach in most evangelical churches today, the majority. The problem is, is what he's saving you from is being your own Lord. That's the essence of sin, is the desire to be God and do it yourself and call the shots yourself and to be a control freak. And to do it my way. The Bible says if anyone doesn't work, neither let him eat. Yet people don't work. The Bible talks about uh, all kinds of things. There's, there's probably 20-some verses and the sections of verses in the New Testament that say that those who practice fornication and sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yet people still do it. In the Beatitudes, which are the beginning motivations and attitudes that the reason that Jesus started his teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, is about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple or not. And he starts with the attitudes that are supposed to change. You're supposed to be poor in spirit. You begin to get humble and realize your need for a rescuer. And one of the beginning attitudes that he will give you if you are really meeting God is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you will no longer be at peace with your sin. If you are just as apathetic and lazy, lazy about seeking God and, the, and becoming who God wants you to be as you were, then you need to cry out to God for mercy because you're dangling over hellfire. If you just can continue to, to you know, uh, get, be a drunkard or, you know, do drugs, meet women and, you know, have multiple sex partners and you, you, then you need to real, you need to cry out to God for salvation. You have Christ is not in you if you fail these tests. Now, there's a number of scriptures there. If you have a problem with that, please go to some of these scriptures. The axe is laid at the root. Bring forth fruit in keeping your repentance and all kind of things like that. Back on the hunger for God's word, Jesus says, if anyone, uh, uh, basically says it, it, um, how's it go? Oh, shoot, I kind of got myself off. But he, he basically is saying in John 8, 30 through 32, that if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, 
then you'll then you are truly my disciples. So if you don't abide in his word, the Greek word meno means remain, live in it, then you're a false disciple. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if you and therefore you probably won't be set free. If you're in the same bondage as you were in before, go back to point number one. Meet the Lord and meet him in his word. Get serious about, get some other crap moved out of your life, whatever, get get off Facebook or, or whatever complication is in your life that keeps you from sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his word. Be like Mary, who wasn't going to let the word of God be taken from her. It's a matter of your eternal destiny. Now, thirdly, desire all for all things of God. I have far too many, too few people coming to me and saying, "Can I? Hey, I got to get baptized in the Spirit. Can you help me get that? I, we got to do that now. We can't wait. I need to get water baptized." One of the things that really scares me is is point four of the five introductory steps, which I'm probably gonna have to cover on the second message, I guess. Um, it, that we have all the time is. Uh, is very few people, we have a lot of people who got born again, water baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit, but need deliverance and inner healing and haven't read the books and, and prepared their heart and, and, and gotten ready for it. That's supposed to be a bang, bang, bang thing you do at the Christ, your, beginning of your Christian life. And honestly, we have sort of this culture in Grace and Christian Fellowship where certain people have grown and really developed and doing great and so forth. And almost all the ones that are growing and doing well and developing and, and are not stuck back in their old sins and so forth have gone through deliverance at least one or two times. So get with one of the elders. We have, you know, four books to prepare you. Get that done. Uh, because you know what? There really is a spiritual world and there really is a heaven and hell and there really is God and there really are demons and demons can dwell in Christians and only a Christian has the legal right to cast the demon out. Learn about your legal rights and get someone to help you cast them out. Don't let them, don't let the same worries and fears you know, we have people who are bound up in fears and worries and, and addictions and, and crazy behaviors and so forth. Don't, do, don't put up with that. Jesus came to set you free. So as Jesus said in, back in John 8, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And you find the freedom in, by being a disciple of his word. And Jesus, if you don't think this is important, just think on this. You really, if you don't think it's important to get deliverance, I, I pity the fool. I, I think, I wonder if you know the Lord at, in it all. We have people, unfortunately, we've had some that, that get deliverance and don't keep their deliverance. Like pigs returning to the mud or whatever. And it's not that I'm a meanie guy. Like we don't have, we have a definition of love in our culture that's all approbation and wonder all the time. And believe me, I try to praise people and encourage them and so forth. But I also, you know, love includes kicking you in the butt. Say, come on. You know, the, the Bible says that, that Jesus gave us all spiritual things. Like you have every resource you need to live the call of God on your life. But, but violent men enter the kingdom of God by force. Cry out to God to deliver you from your passivity about him. It's a matter of hell or heaven. It's a matter of the hell you're living in versus the heaven you could be living in. Someone who's really born again wants all the things of God. You know, this American thing where people go to the Lord's Day uh, about 40 out of 52 Sundays a year is just nonsense. Rhythms of life, that, that, that's what Leviticus 23 is all about. That's why G, all of Jesus' seven appearances 
to the disciples after the resurrection were on the first day of the week. And the early Christians considered it a most heinous sin to miss gathering together with the other Christians in your city on the first day of the week. It was actually considered a sign that you might not have the life of Christ in you if you underestimated that assembling together. You know, that's why last week I pointed out that, uh, that uh, you know, Jason and Carla had had a nice weekend away together, but they took Friday off work so that they could have Friday and Saturday, and they were back for the Lord's Day. Um, which is a good segue into point four. I guess I'm going to only be able to get through the five vital signs of life today. The desire for biblical Christian fellowship and accountability. Now, I'm actually reading a really good book by a guy named Jerry Bridges called, uh, is it called Fellowship? or I think it's called True Community. Jerry Bridges, a lot of you know him. His gospel books are pretty famous and so forth. And he, it, the whole book is a, a Bible study of the word koinonia, which is translated sometimes fellowship in the New Testament, sometimes partnership, sometimes participation, and sometimes commune, com, communion, and sometimes community. But one of the things that he addresses right at the beginning that I was like, you know, amen, I wish I could hide like this in 27 colors, not just one uh, kind of thing, and shouted from the rooftops is he said, we have degenerated in our culture to where fellowship is getting together for social activities only. So I grew up in a community of Christians that was the most radical group of Christians I've ever met, even to this day. And they were so radical from 1971, even on into the late 70s and so forth. And God sovereignly visited them again in the late 70s and the early 80s. And they became radical again after they were starting and so forth. But I'm still friends with those guys. And primarily their fellowship is getting together to play poker and smoke cigars and, and drink some beer or something. And, uh, uh, you know, fellowship is not just putt-putt golf. It's not just bowling. It's not just euchre. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do some of that stuff. And especially, you know, Jason has used uh, having a Wii and used uh, basically the, uh, what do you call that, fantasy football basketball league that, that some of the guys has. He's used that to keep some of the guys, like that was how we kept contact with Logan during the years he walked away from God. It was that fantasy basketball league that had a lot to do with why Logan came back to Christ eventually. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't do any of that. Don't, I'm not trying to preach legalism. But are you really unbearing your soul? Do you have an accountability partner that you're really honest with? Are you really serving the brothers? Do you really make sacrifices for guys that, that are hard to like in the church? Because we're called to love everybody and... I'll just admit, I'm one of those people that's not always the easiest to like, <laughs> right? And uh, you know that you've passed out of death and into life if you biblically love the brethren. Does something rise up in your heart on Saturday nights? And, and so, like, I don't want to go out and party Saturday nights. I'd like to spend time with the Lord on Saturday nights because, this, as the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, and I know how much I draw close to God on Saturday nights will have a lot to do with how much anointing is, is going to be uh, on, on the whole Sunday proceedings. And I want to celebrate the communion of the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And I want people to feel it. The reason I get on, like, you know, sweep the stones down there, and I want people to feel the power of God when they come in the parking lot. I want them to be excited uh, when they're getting out of their cars and talking to each other because we're going to go worship God together. You know, real fellowship is, is, a, is a sharing of the life of Christ. It comes out of our union with Christ. Lastly, witnessing or proclaiming Christ. Statistics are, I forget how the exact numbers, but very, 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 very few Christians have ever led anyone else to Christ. 
That's so sad. Let me tell you. You know, I got a wall in my house where there's no drywall. <laughs> and hopefully some year we'll get around to fixing it and stuff. You know, I, I, there was a time in my life, sadly, where I kind of cared about my house being nice. And you probably should care a little, probably a little more than I do. But, I, but you know, I've, I, I've had jobs where I made 110 to 160000 a year. I've got a master's degree. I, you know, lots of stuff. I used to play basketball like it was some kind of idol in my life four or five times. We had a great church basketball teams. We played like four times a week. You know, you know I've, I've enjoyed the things of this world to some degree as a Christian. But there is nothing, there is no pleasure like seeing uh, someone come to Christ and start coming in Christ. Last week, I got to be one of several people who prayed with John Bradbury to receive Christ after church. Wow, what a blessing to be there. What a blessing to have played a small role in that process. Now, the reason I, you know, I loved seeing little Joy in the hospital when she was this size, now she's this size, but, uh, you know, is because there's nothing like seeing a baby come into this world you know, I love the whole thing that, you know, the, the woman gets the pregnancy glow and, and she, and then toward the end of the pregnancy, she feels, she feels like she's so ugly, but she's actually at her most beautiful ever. Cause she just, you know, looks like, man, she's about to bring a baby into this world. This is awesome stuff. And, uh, she thinks she looks terrible and she feels terrible. Like, like Taylor, after joy was born, she was like, I'm so glad to have this over with, you know, she was feeling so good. I suggested we should have probably gone bowling or something but uh <laughs> that'd be a, that'd be a first I had the baby and three hours later we went bowling but uh um you know the watching these little kids grow and then they're toddlers and when they first learn to walk they're always falling down and you know there's nothing like it except for it's god always makes the things of this life kind of a smaller picture of, of a bigger picture that he is. And the, the bigger picture is when people are reborn into Christ and they grow up into Christ and they become like Christ. Paul says, we are again in labor with you until you reach the fullness of maturity or adulthood in Christ. And... You know, it's hard progress these days where we have a narcissistic culture. We have an unbelieving culture. Almost everyone grows slower than I'd like to see them grow. But when they grow, it's just so wonderful. Some of you just light up my heart. When you come in, when you sit there on Sunday morning, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't want to name names, but there's quite a few of you out there that I, that I just can't help thinking about, like, where you were when we met and who you are now, and I'm like, wow. Like, what a privilege to be part of that. There's not, it's worth, just forget everything else. To be a part of that is worth everything. You can't possibly, you know, I, Luke 24, by the way, if you want to look that up, and I'll end here because I'm way past my time, but John's not here to get mad at me. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I was just hoping. I, of course, Jason could uh, get on me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Can't 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 hold up the carpet, people. Uh, so, la last point: um, the road to Emmaus, you know, is Luke twenty-four. It it it. Listen to this: after Jesus appeared to the two disciples. It says they, were, they had stopped at a nearby town called Emmaus, seven miles. Anyone who knows anything about the ancient world, you don't travel after dark because thieves wait on the road and they beat the crap out of you and they kill you, <laughs> which isn't that fun, really. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I've never heard anyone say, I've heard people say, why don't we get together and play euchre? I've never heard anyone say, why don't we get together and go for a late night walk and hopefully we'll get mugged in the neighborhoods and someone will stab us. <laughs> okay, let's do that. You know, praise God, brother, I'm with you. Uh, 
you know, that's what the, that's what they risked by going back to Jerusalem that night. But they couldn't wait till morning. So let me let me tell you this. I tell this to people all the time. I would go out on to Kroger, and I would go in the parking lot, and I would grab people. I wish I could have someone up here that I could grab. And I would grab them, and I'd go, Jesus loves you. He's really risen from the dead. There's all kinds of historical evidence for it. There's, the gospel is true. The kingdom of God is what life's about. There's nothing else worth living for. Life is a waste if you don't love and serve God. I, would, I just love you, and I'd hug them and stuff. If that would be a good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> so that might work with somebody. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, in other words, like if you, I, one, the last, this is vital signs of life we're looking at. Have you really got a passion for the lost? Is that why you pay your tithes? Is that why you study the things you study? Is that why you, uh, become the kind of person God wants you to become? Is that why you're going through deliverance and inner healing and so forth? Because you want to be a better light shining for Christ? Because there are lost, hurting people all around us. And I'll just end with this thing. I, I hope you could get what I'm trying to say here. Uh, because of what we're trying to do and because of the state of the church today, there's no one else coming. If you understand what Grace Christian Fellowship is trying to do at all and trying to restore the church to what it was in some of its glorious days of the early centuries or the Reformation or whatever, there's no one else coming that has that on their agenda. Millions of Christians are, are content with lukewarm, half-hearted, compromised, uh, de half-dead Christianity, and I'm trying to call you out of that. Because, you, you know what, the most miserable people in the world live somewhere in the middle. Get radical for Jesus or, or just don't live. There's no reason to live except be, to be totally sold out for the love of God. And that includes the love of the lost. Amen.